0: Hello, welcome to the Valley View podcast, episode 106. My name is Tyler, and I'm here with Matt.
1: What's up, Tyler?
0: Hey. How's it going? That was a silly pre-podcast interaction that we just had. (laughs) But we won't tell them about it, it will remain a secret.
1: You never know. Episode 106 of the Valley View podcast is being brought to you by Paul Vick Sensitive Document Disposal.
0: Wow. Okay you come up with this one because your daughter had to get a consent for international minor travel recently?
1: (laughs) Uh, This one comes to us uh, from uh, Maple Grove, I guess. This is where this company is located. Operating out of of Maple Grove and family owned for 65 years. Paul Vick, sensitive document disposal is your all-in-one option for safely disposing of hard copy items that you don't want to be seen by others. Don't let your social security number, um, bank account information, health records, or secret family recipes fall into suspicious hands. Call Paul Vick and learn about our patented document disposal process, which shreds paper to a size smaller than the eraser on your pencil. That's pretty, huh. pretty small. You could put that back
0: together, though. Yeah, I guess that's You really tried. <laughs>
1: We also offer redaction services, safety deposit box rentals, um, locking briefcase rentals. That's kind of cool. Uh, armed escort services for sensitive document transfer within the tri-state area.
0: What are the tri-state area of Minnesota? I
1: was going to ask you.
0: Probably Minnesota and the Dakotas, I would guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, even Wisconsin though Iowa
0: Wisconsin are closer to here. Yeah. I don't think,
1: know. If you were going to, well, let me ask you, if you were going to take a sensitive document outside of Minnesota, which state would you be going to?
0: I would never take a sensitive, I would not take it to Wisconsin. I don't <laughs> trust anything in Wisconsin.
1: <laughs> Paul Vick, sensitive document disposal. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Watch for our ad being uh, aired during coverage of the 2024 Masters Tournament on CBS. Wow. That's wow. huge. Paul Vick, when security trumps transparency.
0: When security trumps transparency. What would uh? What was the should one?
1: security ever trump transparency?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess definitely, a- absolutely. Um, so redaction services. Yeah. Is that just like you're hiring them to blot things out with whiteout? I would assume so.
1: Or like with a I feel like, like I
0: could just do that myself. Like a black marker. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming this is when you've
1: got like a, I don't know, 80 page document that needs to have like a certain thing redacted
0: through the whole document. That makes more sense. Just hand it to Paul Vick and say, here you go. I would totally do that if someone paid me. That'll be my next job after this church. Redaction service. Yeah, I'll go white stuff out for you. I don't care. (laughs)
1: T Mag's redaction services. That's I great.
0: love like mindless menial work. Mm-hmm. I'm all about it. T- I, maybe I've said on the podcast that one of my favorite jobs in college was uh, a front desk worker where mm. my job was to sit at a desk for four hours.
1: <laughs> what uh, were you like checking people in? Um,
0: I mean, if they came, but like that, like it's just like if people came and did not have their student ID, I let them in and then they signed in. Mm-hmm. That that was it. That probably happened like three times a shifts. So
1: should we picture you sitting at a desk, like just looking out at the space doing nothing?
0: No, I'm watching YouTube videos. Okay 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 good I did I did a shift once that was like 8 p.m to 4 a.m on uh the Wednesday Thursday going into Thanksgiving oh because it was like you had to sign up for it and like because they didn't schedule anyone because of the break uh-huh. and I was like yeah sure eight yeah. hours yeah so I did 8 p.m to 4 a.m and then I drove to my parents house directly from there at 4 a.m and got home at like four forty-five and went to sleep wow And woke did, up at like 11. Did you feel like that was a
1: unique experience of suffering?
0: No, I didn't suffer. I was really tired when I got home, mm-hmm. obviously. Okay. But I I would do it again. I don't regret that at all. Wow. Yeah.
1: Well, speaking of suffering.
0: Let's talk about Job.
1: Let's talk about Job.
0: That was that was your best transition. I will say 106 episodes in. That was your best transition that you've done.
1: Thanks. Thanks. I usually don't try that hard. Um Okay. Job. Where would you say Job ranks in terms of your enjoyment of the different books of the Bible?
0: <laughs> That's actually such a great question. Um, in terms of my enjoyment reading it, it's definitely like bottom third. Job is not like a fun book for me to read. I get lost in it every time.
1: Like okay. especially
0: like between chapters like 15 and 30. I'm just like not really it just all I just am reading the same thing over and over again, I feel like. Mm-hmm. In terms of um what like what was the original question? Like, where does it rank? Yeah. In, in terms of where it ranks, in terms of like my favorite books, like books that I'm happy that they're there and enjoy the story of it's like really high, probably like top 10. Huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. I don't really like actually reading it, but I love like, I love summarizing the story and reading about the story.
1: Okay. Okay, cool.
0: I, uh, <clears throat> I have a lot of questions I... for you about Joe, by the way. Okay, go, cool. no, go ahead. Yeah.
1: Go ahead. I, I would just say like, I, I really enjoy the book, the reading of it and the message and the, the theology, um, that we can extract from it. I love pretty much everything about it. I don't think I've always felt that way. I think it's kind of grown on me over sure. time. Um, but now it's it's one of my favorites. Yeah. So in the Bible reading plan that I do, I come to it every um, like late November uh, in December is well, where it ends up in my, Christmas season might, might suffering the for the season. Yeah. So when I get to the end of the year, I get to read through Job as one of the books. So
0: anyway, fire away. What well, do you, where do you want to go? So should we tell people what the book is about, or should we just go ahead with? Um, let's
1: let's assume that people know the the basic outline of the book. Okay, and if um, they don't, we'll tell you later. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All
0: right. Did you, did the Book of Job actually happen? Like, is it a historical event?
1: Um, I you know yeah, it's debated, mm-hmm. right? Scholars debate. Um, I think I would say yes. I okay. believe it did okay yeah what do you think
0: um I don't think it matters for the story mm-hmm. um put put pin me pin, put me in a corner say you have to choose I'd probably say yes mm-hmm. but I haven't like it, if I remember right I haven't studied Job in a while but if I remember right the book literally starts with the equivalent to at a long time ago in a galaxy far far away mm. like it, it like I think Job 1-1 is like a long time ago in the land of ooze <laughs> and ooze is like this like far off land you know <laughs> so
1: yeah there was a, this is Job 1-1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away
0: from evil. It, I mean, that sounds like the beginning of a fairy tale. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, sure. like, not even, this is not me, like, questioning the Bible's authority. This is not me even saying that Job didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But that first verse sounds like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there was a princess and she was a good princess. Sure. You know, like. Yeah. So i I think it's more likely than not that it did happen, mm-hmm. but I understand completely why some people say that oh no, that I don't think this happened. Mm-hmm. I'm not upset by that,
1: yeah,
0: okay. um yeah. another question. yeah, are there dinosaurs in Job? <laughs> um, I don't think so, okay. You're referring to Leviathan and behemoth,
1: Oh, and behemoth. yeah, those are mentioned. Um, I don't remember which chapter kind of leads like 40... through here
0: around 40, like 38, 39, 40. All right. yeah. That's when God's talking.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't concern myself too much with um, with that issue about the, the exact identification of whichever large animals are being spoken of mm. in terms of like, um, when could this have existed historically? Um, what does that mean about the timing of this? Uh, I just, I don't, I don't care about that issue too much. And I don't feel bad saying it.
0: How do you feel? Um, I'm well, so I before I talk about my feelings. You you're way better at just firing the question right back back at me immediately. <laughs> um, before I say anything, what um, why do you think that those descriptions are in there? Um, so, so just to be clear for the listener, mm-hmm. um, when God is talking to Job, mm-hmm. he part of his like it's not really a conversation he's kind of talking to Job part of, part of yeah. his monologue is talking about two great beasts the behemoth and the leviathan mm-hmm. um what is what is the purpose of specifically appealing to those creatures in your opinion
1: i think it's to show um that we we don't even have control over these great beasts you know i think if if i remember it correctly the context is you know, God is presenting Job with these animals that, you know, are so powerful that they can't be controlled by humans. Like, Mm -hmm. can you draw Leviathan out with a hook, you know, or can you, have you noticed like the strength of the armor, you know, and how it can't be pierced and all these things as a way of saying, like, if you have no ability to control um, things that I've created, what would make you think that you know, the almighty is within your power to understand or control.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think a comparison is being made between the strength of God and the strength of creation um, and man being like below that.
0: Level. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I think exactly that. So, okay. But so then yeah. then the further question is like, do you think it's describing real creatures? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. So mm-hmm. you think it's describing real creatures. You don't think those creatures are dinosaurs but as far as what they are it's not really
1: i don't really care yeah okay. and if you even if you wanted to call them dinosaurs i'd be okay with that okay yeah
0: i want it to be dinosaurs that's what i think i don't i yeah i think again if <clears throat> you put me in the corner yeah i, I don't necessarily think they are mm-hmm. but i really want them to be <laughs> okay go ahead um not another okay. question when do you think this book takes place
1: um uh, pre uh pre abraham
0: Okay, so you do think it's like the second oldest book in mm-hmm. terms of the events in it, mm-hmm. yeah. and even older than most of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. why do you think that? Um,
1: but probably because of the uh, some of the ambiguity. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no reference made to anybody else like Abraham or anyone after him. Okay, and yet it it appears to be it definitely is post Genesis, like well post creation, yeah. post flood. Yeah. So, I'd say, <laughs> post Noah, pre Abraham. Okay. How about that?
0: Sure. Cause that that right, like that, what you said, the ambiguity is I think another reason why uh, some people are like, well, maybe this is like more of a device mm-hmm. than than a historical account. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that sure. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Yeah. But but I
1: mean we think ooze is a real place, right? right? So mm-hmm. it's like if you're if you're gonna have like something that's kind of made up to for to prove a point. Or a, a fictional story, but that teaches the truth. Do you locate it in a specific geographical place? Doesn't I mean that doesn't seem to me like something that would happen.
0: I think that happens more in current literature than ancient literature, mm. right? Uh, well, actually, I don't know about that. I I know that the normal the the um as an overarching theme. Usually ancient literature is less concerned mm-hmm. about making their fiction sound like nonfiction than we are. Mm-hmm. Like, we really like to do that in the 21st century. It's mm-hmm. like you're writing a story that didn't happen, but you're having it happen in real places mm-hmm. and even with some real people. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah. Um, In general, I think the Bible and ancient Near Eastern literature does that less.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I don't know. I don't know if if they would there i would have to look at other ancient near eastern texts right they, are they also locating it in a real place but talking about fictitious events I don't right
1: know. exactly it's kind of like it's it's not a totally dissimilar issue from um you know the uh, the matter of people writing a letter under someone else's name
0: pseudonyms yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: It, you you know you attach a real name to it that has some you know some cachet um but it's kind of known that it's not written by that actual person. Right. But you've attached it, you've anchored it in something historically real, even though, you know, it's not true. <laughs> or even right. though like that person really didn't write it. Right. You know, okay. right? that was a little, a clunky explanation, but. um, Okay. Can I throw a question at you about Job? Sure. You said um, it ranks pretty high in terms of your like enjoyment, not of reading it, but enjoyment of the overall message and the experience of, the book. Taking in
0: Job. Yeah. I, Job. That, that's how I should say it. It's one of my top 10 books to take in. Okay. Even if that taking in is not reading the 42 chapters or 43 chapters. Cool. So very simply, what do you find enjoyable about it? Um, I really like, really like when God is really almighty. <laughs> um, And I like, as, as challenging as this can be. And has been for me. It is on the whole, really, really helpful to be reminded that God's ways are higher than mine and his plan is better than mine. Mm. Even if I don't always understand why his plan is going the way it is. Mm. And to see that happen in Job's life is just like the clearest example of like the dude didn't do anything wrong. Like, so I spent a lot of time studying this in school for a class. Um, Basically, there's like, I'll see if I say these right, but there's like three like, there's like three like propositions that like God is all powerful, that uh, Job is just, and that um, God's all powerfulness means that he's like doing the right things. Mm-hmm. And because Job's friends are on the same page that God is just and God's justice leads him to doing the right things. Mm-hmm they conclude that Job must not be, must not be right. Like he must've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And Job knows that God is, I forget which one it is, but God knows one of the things, Job knows one of the things is true about God. And he knows that he didn't do anything wrong. So he's being forced, like almost against what he wants to be doing, to be arguing that God is being unjust to him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's like, it's just a really like good, like, it's a, like a really cool device that you read and you're like, oh, okay. Like, Mm -hmm. that really sucks that that happened to Job and Job actually never found out why. Like we only get to know why, because the author lets us, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But what Job learns is, yeah, the almighty's ways are higher than mine. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is a lesson that we should know as well. Yeah. So why do you like it?
1: uh, Okay. I'll mention two things that I like. One of them comes with uh, a story. Um, So one of the things I like about Job, the book of Job, is that it shows us that it's okay to say things to God like "I wish I had never been born."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Job, like, voices some pretty, uh, some pretty serious things like that. You know, mm-hmm. early on in the book, especially chapters two, three, four, five, when he's kind of giving his initial complaint, it's okay. To say things to God, like, I, I wish I had never been born. Like, if you get to that point in your life where you feel that low, um, it's okay to say that.
0: So, because, and so just to mm-hmm. spell it, like, we see that that's okay in the book, because like, at the end of the book, God does rebuke Job, but he's not rebuking Job for that. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Yeah. He's not rebuking him for feeling that way.
0: Yeah. Or even expressing that to he's God. Expressing it. Yeah, yeah. Ex-
1: exactly. So, That when I can see things like that in the Bible, um, I think points like that are really helpful for changing people's perception of the Bible when they see that, oh, the Bible gives voice to some really, you know, hard corners of life where it's it's like, wow, it's really okay to say that. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) and to question God, like, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing that to happen? You know, I wish I'd, I wish I'd never been born those kind of things. So I find those things really, uh, helpful. Um, here's, so here's the story. I I think I've might've even shared it on this podcast before, but I was sitting uh, at an airport one time getting ready to, to travel. And I I saw this guy sitting there wearing a, um, slipknot Mm t-shirt. Have I told you this story before?
0: I don't remember it, but I don't remember anything we talked about on the podcast. So I don't know if that means I may have
1: shared it before. And maybe as part of the music discussion with, with, uh, James, but anyway, um, if you're not familiar with Slipknot, just like a really loud, hardcore band, like really harsh edges, mm-hmm. you know, so a band that I just, I would personally have no interest in listening to. And it's actually hard for me to understand. Um, it had been hard for me to understand why anyone would listen to music like that, mm-hmm. you know, just you like have to the, the story. Yeah. Yeah. Like the heavy stuff. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, to kind of truncate this because people have heard it before. Basically the guy said like, it gives expression to what I feel inside. Mm -hmm. And he had had a really hard upbringing and he found a band that actually gave expression to everything he was feeling inside, but didn't know how to express. So um, I'm saying that the Bible um, is kind of like that in a sense where um, we may have some things inside that we're not quite sure how to express, but then we find someone like Job who gives voice to that. I'm not saying for me personally that I right. wish I'd never been right. born. Right, right, right. I'm saying that I like that, that that's true about the Bible, Yeah, that it's so real that it gives voice to thoughts like that. Yeah. So that's one thing I enjoy. The other thing I enjoy is reading through chapter one and seeing how Job is um, – Job foreshadows Jesus. I'm sure you're not surprised that I'm going to go here. Not at all
0: surprised that you did that.
1: But, you know, you just do a real quick think through Job's life. He is the the righteous um, mediator. Basically, that's how he's presented at the beginning. He's presented um, as a mediator? Yeah, for his kids. Do you remember this? This interesting... um, comment that's made that Job used to offer sacrifices on behalf of his kids because maybe they sinned. I don't they, remember that. Were, yeah. Okay.
0: I believe you. I don't remember that.
1: Yeah. So his kids get the impression you get is that all of his kids gathered like for a big party, like weekly or whatever. Yeah. Or, and that it was like a rotating party almost like, I might even say that like at Thursdays they met at John's house and yeah. the, you know, and it says that Job used to op- offer sacrifices because you would think maybe my, my kids cursed God. Um, when they were together, and sure. so he would mediate for them, and offer sacrifices on their behalf to God. So he was like a priest for them almost. So, mm-hmm. um, he so the picture of him is that he is a righteous, just mediator between sinners and God. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's the ministry of Jesus. And then, of course, we see him suffer.
0: He loses everything. Yeah, he, he except loses, his life.
1: Except his life, he he suffers because of his righteousness. Mm-hmm. And um, because he is so good, God is the one that brings him up. You know, God's, have you considered Job? Mm -hmm. And so we see in Job a little picture, a little foreshadowing of the ministry of Jesus, where you've got a a righteous mediator who suffers. Mm -hmm. And you think, why would the righteous one ever suffer? How could that ever be God's plan? And so I think when we, I think Job is a good Old Testament anchor for understanding the ministry of Jesus, that this could be part of God's providence and part of God's plan that this would happen. Um I think Job just helps us interpret the story of Jesus in a bet <laughs> maybe a better, fuller way.
0: Yeah, because there's a lot of parallels, right? Like a righteous one who's mediating for people mm-hmm. suffers and then is restored by God.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The the restoration at the end. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. So,
0: so there it is. Shout out Job.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Job. So um
0: psalms be next yep right we are now leaving mm-hmm. the section of books that i just get so amped up to talk about and moving into the ones where i just it's just a grind for me to get through when i'm reading the bible <laughs> like when i'm like reading if i'm doing like a chronological plan yeah like well we're not totally out like psalms and proverbs can be tough for me to get through mm-hmm. then ecclesiastes is really fun song of psalm I'm going be quirky yeah and then isaiah jeremiah lamentations that's something <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's gonna be good okay we're gonna make a really hard right hand turn.
0: It's wedding season. We've
1: got nine minutes left. Yep, it's wedding season. We're going to do a series of episodes uh, related to weddings. I think in upcoming episodes, we're going to spend one talking about Tyler's wedding, ta- um another one talking with my wedding, talking about my wedding. I think the wives are going to pop in and be guests for these, hopefully.
0: We've been bringing the wives on a lot lately. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's been good. But yeah. we're going to kick it off today with some quick hitters about about weddings. Okay, just to kind of tease the next few episodes. And I think we
0: have talked about weddings a little bit. Like I know, I'm pretty sure I've said on the podcast that my ideal way to do a wedding is to go, see them get married, eat the food, leave. Yeah. So we're we're going to get a little more in depth on on weddings in the next few weeks.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we're going to prime the pump a little bit today with just about 8 minutes of wedding talk about some idiosyncrasies related to weddings. Okay? So I got a couple questions I really want to ask you and you you may fire some back to me. But okay, here's here's the first one. Have you heard of the unity candle? Yes. Okay. All right. I want to ask you about the unity candle. All right. Um, (laughs) Okay. Because this issue. Emily's
0: laughing listening to this.
1: (laughs) This issue has come up for me um, where I've been asked this question as a pastor about what is appropriate with the unity candle. So I want to get your perspective. Okay. All right. So the unity candle concept is you've got two lit candles, right? One representing the husband, one representing the wife. The husband and wife, they each pick up a lit candle and they join the flames in like the center larger so-called unity candle, Uh right? Okay, now here's my question, okay? After that has happened, after the unity candle has been lit, is it appropriate to allow the two initial candles to remain lit or remain lit, thus symbolizing the continued individuality of the husband and wife or is it appropriate to extinguish those two candles to show that they are no longer um two but have become one
0: uh, right do you understand the question i understand the question uh, i have no idea how to answer it because i can't get past how much i think unity candles are silly
1: <laughs> well just tell us why you think they're silly and then maybe we'll get to the just, okay
0: i feel like i I feel like lately when I, like, go off on a podcast, people talk to me about it more, and I, like, feel like I said something wrong more, <laughs> so I I feel like I'm self-editing more in the recent episodes, but, like, <sighs> Unity Candles, I think are, I feel the same way about Unity Sand, I feel the same way about, like, pretty much any, like, anything you, like, pour together, like, I don't think that's a good picture, I think the Unity Candle's about the worst one, because what happens when you blow out the candle? Like, the candle is not lit in the front of the church you got married in for the rest of your marriage. Like, either you blow the candle out when the ceremony's done, unceremoniously, or you, like, let it burn all the way down to the wick, and I'm like, oh, is your marriage done now that the unity candle blew out? Like, I just... I understand what the point is. Like, I understand that you're symbolizing, like, two becoming one, right? Like, two flames, one flame. But, like, it the, the thing's gonna be out in 20 minutes. Sure. Like, I just... Sure. Like, what... And like unity said, like okay, okay, we poured two colors of sand into a vase, and now the vase is gonna sit on our mantle. What well, I just, I, I just don't see the necessity of like unity things, like your your marriage before God in the church mm. with, like with the pre like that is that is the unity.
1: Mm. So you're not opposed to the concept of unity in marriage.
0: Uh, I am not opposed to the concept of unity in marriage. No, I think I am united in my marriage to Emily.
1: What you're opposed to is the representation of that unity in some kind of uh, what you feel like is maybe a silly. Hokey or pokey.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. All
0: right. I do recognize, I I actually think I've grown in this in the past few months. I do recognize that in other Christian traditions, symbolic representation is a much bigger deal mm. than it is in the Christian tradition I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So like I went to a Greek Orthodox wedding like four months ago and that was a trip. Mm-hmm. Like at one point I was watching my cousin and his soon to be wife holding hands with the preacher or holding hands with the priest, both wearing flower crowns. Like that like it, they were like all three holding hands with each other and like walking around something that was lit with incense.
1: Like in a circular motion? Yes,
0: like walking in a circle. It was called The Dance of Isaiah. Um, and I had no idea what I was watching. But I, I, after that experience, I understood like, okay, for, for this like way of expressing Christianity, that's like incredibly meaningful and symbolizing Christ in the church.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't feel that way at all. And I actually think that sometimes those kind of traditions can maybe i think they can maybe get in the way like i think they can introduce complexity that's unnecessary mm-hmm. um but i recognize that like in some or like orthodox meaning like truly christian traditions symbolism is really really meaningful
1: mm-hmm. it just cool.
0: really that kind of thing is not meaningful to me so when i see some sandy getting poured together i'm like oh i hope the jar doesn't break
1: so are, are we to understand that you had no um
0: unity candle unity sand any Unity. uh no light? we did not do any of that <laughs> well we unified ourselves we put on rings and we said yeah till we die before god till we die
1: i would love for our um listeners to weigh in and just say if they think extinguishing the candles is appropriate or letting them continue to yeah burn.
0: i'm sorry i don't have an answer to the original question because i just i just hey. i don't know it's hard for me to get past the initial the candle itself is going to be blown out in 20 minutes anyways <laughs>
1: Poll votes, Tyler, right?
0: Yeah, P-O-L-L votes, Tyler. Let me know. Do you want the unity candles to be, the single candles to be left up or do you want them to be blown out right away?
1: All right. Okay. And let me ask you this. Um, Think about attending a wedding ceremony. All right. Have you ever been uncomfortable attending a wedding ceremony because of something that was happening up front? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, I'm uncomfortable every time when they kiss.
1: Are you really? Yeah. (laughs) Because you're not... You're not expecting it or no, I'm uh, expecting, you should be it. expecting it. I am
0: expecting it. Do you like
1: avert your eyes?
0: Yeah, every single time.
1: Oh, uh, mm. tell us more about that.
0: I just don't like PDA. Like that was like kind of a thing <laughs> at my own wedding. I was like, man, I got to kiss her in public. I love mm. her so much. Like I'm so excited to marry her, but like kissing in public. Mm.
1: Okay. I did
0: it though. I did it. Did you? I did it.
1: I uh one wedding that I officiated a couple years ago, it's been a few years ago. The couple um, I think asked me to uh, not be looking at them while they kissed because they, in the picture, you know, they're going to have a photographer yeah. take a picture and they didn't want me to be looking at them. They wouldn't me to be, you know, looking down. or Maybe step away. I don't, I don't remember. Okay. But um, I thought that was good. Huh?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, it was funny. One of my friends got married and they like made such a big deal about like her mom looked away while they kissed and that was like so silly to them. And I was like, yeah. I'd probably, I'd probably do the same thing.
1: <laughs> I have been uncomfortable at a wedding before um, when the uh, the bride was not coming in when she was supposed to. <clears throat> oh.
0: What what was happening?
1: Uh, the groom and the pastor were waiting up front and uh, the bride was nowhere to be seen. And I think everyone was starting to have the same feeling that Bobby yeah. and I were having. Like, uh-oh.
0: Uh, uh-oh. Yeah.
1: What if this doesn't happen? Like, are we going to witness a, a train wreck here? uh finally she did come in but it was i bet it felt like maybe two minutes oh my goodness of um, where's the bride and is she like leaving the building or something yeah like
0: that.
1: that's probably the most uncomfortable i've been at a, a yeah
0: place. i've never had that but i think that would do it for me too mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay <laughs> other so, than that the other i gotta say the other time i was the most uncomfortable was when the uh the father of the bride speech was 45 minutes
1: during the wedding
0: like well, like at, during the reception. Ah, oh yeah. Especially because they specifically had us. They wanted to get us to food ASAP. Mm-hmm. Like we walked from the wedding, ten feet to where we were sitting to eat, and they said, "Okay, we're just going to do speeches quick, and then the father of the bride talked for forty-five minutes."
1: This is before food was served. Yes,
0: I was starving.
1: That's terrible. Okay, a couple quick hitters because we have to go. But these were listener submitted, uh, photos. Uh, photos of the couple should they be taken before or after the B-
0: ceremony before because you don't want to make the people wait three hours to eat
1: thank you good also um reception um have a seating chart with seating assignments or let
0: people choose their own seat i think it's just normal convention to have a seating chart yeah. i don't necessarily know if that's better or worse but i think that's just normal and fine
1: okay do you care either way
0: um for myself i'd prefer a seating chart just know where everybody is
1: okay what if you get uh, seated with you know people that you kind of run out of stuff to talk with oh, about seven minutes. Well here's here's the
0: thing. I think that the it's the responsibility of the bride and groom to put together a seating chart that everyone's gonna like. Like if I get put next to people I don't know, then I'm annoyed at the bride and the groom because they know me. Like they invited me to their wedding. Presumably we have a close relationship. Why are you putting me by people that I don't know? <laughs> like I should never be looking I, at the table like three ways <clears> and be <throat> saying like man, I wish I was over there with those people I knew.
1: Well I'm just saying that you better be ready for that as a pastor because um on More than one occasion, Molly and I have been seated with. Well, when, when it's just part of life, like if you do a wedding for people, you know, in the church, a lot of times you won't know many people at the wedding, okay? And you end up with, um, you know, Uncle Bruce from Florida and his family, and you have no idea who these people
0: are. I thought, That's, I thought typically when pastors did weddings, they didn't like stay for the reception.
1: Um, I don't think we'd have to, We're, I, we're always invited,
0: yeah. And I'd say, well, more yeah.
1: often than not, we've stayed.
0: Oh, I just feel like if I was doing a wedding for someone and I knew I wouldn't know anybody at the wedding, I probably just wouldn't stay because oh. I feel like that's pretty normal.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know. Okay. I've only done one wedding and it was literally just the family. All right. right. Let's stay in
1: touch and see what happens.
0: All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Can't wait to find out. <laughs> we will uh, We will talk about Psalms and more wedding stuff next week. Maybe with a spouse, maybe without. Who's to say?
1: Yeah, exactly. And Psalms is a maybe because I was thinking we were going to dedicate a few episodes um, entirely to the wedding story. Oh, okay. So- well.
0: Well, chaos, guess, chaos on the podcast. We're we'll see to, what happens in 107. To work that out. <laughs> All right. Have a great week, everybody. So everybody. Bye.